As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. D, today we are talking about a movie about clones. Yeah. Life finds a way. No, not Jurassic Park. Oh, why do I get the feeling you're going to be the death of me? <laughs> Good lord, not Attack of the Clones either. Oh. Uh, everybody dies, Sally. The thing is to die well. Uh, not Oblivion either. Okay, what what clone movie are we talking about? We then? are talking about Multiplicity versus Groundhog Day. Hey, listen, we talked about this earlier today. Yeah. Okay, so the funny version is Groundhog Day, where somebody's stuck in a time loop. Yep. Versus Multiplicity, about a guy who clones himself. Yep. And we talked about how the serious version of that really is The Edge of Tomorrow, where Tom Cruise is stuck in a time loop. Live, die, repeat. Versus Oblivion. Yeah. Where he is, he encounters a clone of himself. Right. Exactly. It's kind of crazy. Two sci-fi movies that take these two Harold Ramis comedies and do it in a whole new way with Tom Cruise. Hey, I'm telling you, those movies are awesome. Awesome. I would not be opposed to that matchup right there. No, absolutely not. Now, we talked about Oblivion before whenever we talked about our Top Gun Maverick episode. Mm -hmm. Fantastic movie that you encouraged me to watch. I finally got to get Caleb to watch it. Yeah. When I watched Multiplicity, I mentioned in our last episode, this was the first time I'd ever seen it. Although, today I asked Casey, I'm like, have you seen the movie Multiplicity? She's like, yeah, we watched it together. I'm like, no, we didn't. Because I saw it like two days ago and you weren't there. And she's like, no, like when we were dating. I'm like... Nope. <laughs> She's like, I wouldn't have seen it with anybody else. I'm like, I'm just telling you, honey, I'm 100% sure I've never seen this movie before. But then I started thinking, could I have forgotten this movie? Well, yeah, I think I could have. Yeah. Now, there are some folks out there who love it. They'll go back to it again and again and again, and they saw it when it first came out. But there's something that happened in between Groundhog Day and Multiplicity that changed things whereas Groundhog Day was this amazing nuclear bomb success 
and Multiplicity didn't even earn half of its budget. I, I still cannot put my head around what happened. Well, here's the thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to propose this theory now. So we did an episode just a few episodes ago where we interviewed the creator of the Greenlight Project, yes. Alex Collegian, and we started talking about our favorite 80s movies, and he kind of got onto this idea that 80s movies didn't really start until 1984. Right. Right? Like, before that, those were 70s movies. Like, they had a style, and that the style changed in 84. And then I think, it could be wrong, but I think he said, and that lasted to 93. And then in 94, the style changed. And keep in mind, 94, we've got natural born killers we've got pulp fiction we've got shawshank Shawshank redemption Redemption. i mean all of these incredible serious not remotely 80s style movies right now the two movies that we're talking about one came out in 93 and that's groundhog day and it was a very 80s movie style like you got the intro in the clouds and it's the credits and it's this kind of cheesy kind of yeah bad Newman sounding song to go with it. What's his name? <laughs> Randy Newman. Is it Randy Newman? Yes. Yeah. Kind of, Randy not even Newman. Harold Ramis wrote that Weatherman song, by the way. He was he was one of the writers on that song. Oh my gosh. It's so dumb. It is so bad. <laughs> like and I just and and multiplicity starts the exact same way. It's the credits. We have this fun little, hey, let's show Andy McDowell's name several times and let's show Michael Keaton's name several times. Sure. It's the multiplicity idea, but it's still credits in the clouds. But from 1993 to 1996, there had been a paradigm shift and multiplicity did not get on the bus. Yeah, I think we talked about that. I, for me, I think there's a case to be made that Jurassic Park is the last of the 80s movies. Yeah. And then you have Pulp Fiction and all that, and there is that shift. Yeah. That comedy seemed a little bit outdated. It did. It did. Harold Ramis was a master of a particular style, and unfortunately, around 1994, that style fell out of favor like hair metal in 92. Do you know what the next movie after Groundhog Day that Harold Ramis did was? No. Stuart Saves His Family. I don't even know what that is. You know, remember the Stuart from uh, Saturday Night Live, the guy that's I'm good enough, I'm smart oh, enough. Guy, and... Oh, that that steaming pile of yes! burning tire. You dung. have maybe one of the greatest comedies ever, and then you fall off the cliff. Yeah, it's crazy, right? Yeah, gee, money. By the way, '93 is known as year for the Family Movie. Did you uh, know this? No, I didn't. So listen to this. You got. So you have Jurassic Park, which can be considered a family movie, right? You've got Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah. You've got The Nightmare Before Christmas. And you've got Free Willy. You've got some big, heavy-hitting family movies. I can't believe you said Free Willy and all of that, but keep going. (laughs) Hey, Free Willy was a box office smash. It was. Yeah. true. Now, stupid movie, but... (laughs) So 93 is known as the year of the family movie. Right. Not 96. Not, not 96. We talked about in our last episode, the movies that came out in 96, 96 is not a good year for movies. It's not a good year for movies, but it was that I think Hollywood was scrambling at that moment, trying to figure out what was the new end thing to do, because you had all these independent directors who had come out and given us an, a whole new idea about what movies could be. And this, I mean, someday we will have this debate because you maintain that the 80s is the best decade for movies and I maintain that it was the 90s but this would be an interesting if if we decided to do that episode do we draw our dividing lines up on 
80 and 90, or do we divide it up on 84 and 94? That complicates things a little bit. It does. Yes. Okay, so let's jump into these movies, talk a little bit about the production of Groundhog Day. Okay, Shirley fans, rise and shine, and don't forget your booties, because it's cold outside. It's cold out there every day. What is this, Miami Beach? Jason, do you have deja vu? I don't know, but I can check in the kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think Phil is going to come out and see his shadow today? Poxitani Phil. That's right. Woodchuck chuckers, it's Groundhog Day! Day. (laughs) Woohoo! Now... One of the key <clears throat> questions for this movie is, how long is he in the time loop? Right, right. right. Now, Harold Ramis has answered this question. Okay. Okay? Here's the problem. Yeah. He's answered it at least two different ways. Okay. At some point, he said, about 10 years. Yeah. At some point, he was like, eh, I think it's more like 30 or 40 years, which is a huge distinction, right? Yeah. When Danny Rubin first wrote the script, his idea was that it was 10,000 years. Right. 10,000 thousand years and the question was how could he possibly keep track of how long it was right how do you if you if you can't mark a calendar and it's going to be there the next day how do you keep track right so here's how he answered that question right there is a library in the bed and breakfast that he's at a whole bookshelf full of books right and so what he does is he goes to the top left book on the bookshelf and reads one page, and then the next day reads the next page. And so that way, (laughs) he can keep track of how many days have passed. And there's this very poignant moment in the script where he reaches the final page of the final book in the bookcase, and he walks over, picks up the first book again, and starts again. Wow. So I think 10,000 years is definitely too long. But when they were talking about it, the studio executives wanted to know. They're like, hey, there's no way we're going to let you go with 10,000 years. That's just absurd. That Nobody's nobody's going to believe that. Right. Right. So, you know, Harold Ramis being the psych ward, let's see where you're coming from kind of guy was like, well, what do you guys think? And they're like, two weeks. And they're like, come on. Right. I mean, that's nothing. That's meaningless. You commit suicide after two weeks, you got problems, right? Right. Exactly. I mean, you miss out on all of the stages of grief if you try to if you try to cram all that into two right, weeks. Right, 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 right. It's not believable. Not to mention the fact that he becomes a proficient piano player. Right. I mean, that it just falls apart. And so Harold Ramis just kind of uses his politico power and just says, how about we just don't answer that question? How about we just let the audience guess at it? And that's what they end up with. So I've got a theory on this. So you're right. He does things like he goes from a complete can't play the piano Mm -hmm. to like jazz, you know, leading the charge in in the dance hall, right? Right. And his piano teacher is like, oh, I'm so proud of him, right? Yeah. Which is funny because why would you be proud of your student after one, one day? day? Right. Right. So he does things. He, he knows everybody in the diner, and that takes time, okay? Yeah. So somewhere between 10 years and 10,000 years is probably your answer. But on screen, uh-huh. you see, I think they said it's exactly 42 days. Okay. On screen. On screen. Okay. Right. So he slapped... You know, a certain amount of times and he does this or that, you know, and you see this suicide attempt and that death and that adds up to on screen. We see 42 different days. Yeah. You actually see we as the audience. Side note, sweet vermouth with a twist of lemon sounds like the worst drink I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) Please continue. (laughs) 
That is exactly six weeks. Okay. Six weeks of winter. Uh, well, that's interesting. But there's no way it can be only six weeks. Yeah. I, I but totally... it's interesting, but you, we see six weeks worth of days. Yeah. But there's there is there are changes that occur. And let me just let me jump into this with both feet now. Yeah. We said that this is based on the five stages of grief, right? Uh-huh. Okay. Now, the first stage of grief is denial. So if you think about the movie, there's Bill Murray, and he's in his first repeat day, <laughs> and he's like, he, he's confused. He's Didn't like, this we do can't this be yesterday? happening. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What day is it? It's Groundhog Day. Will you be checking out today, Mr. Connors? I'd say the chance of departure is 80%. You mess with me, you know. Like, <laughs> we only do that once right, a year, right? <laughs> right. And and when she asks him, you know, are you going to be checking out today? Chances are eighty percent, which has gone down twenty. Like he's yeah, he's identified that there's a problem because it was a hundred percent the first day, right? Right. And so he's in denial. Then that night he breaks the pencil to test it. Yes. Wakes up the next day, the pencil is back in the drawer and full, and he's he's jumping for joy, right? Yeah. He because he's like, hey. I'm in a magical world, but it takes very little time in that magical world before he is off drinking with the guys saying, I'm mad about the way that life has treated me and I'm not going to play by their rules anymore. Uh And so that is stage two, anger. Phil? Phil? Hey, Phil Connors. Ned? Right? Right. How is it going to be, right? So then the next stage is bargaining. Right. So this one this one kind of is bookended with punching Ned, right? <laughs> like, if there are no consequences Ned? to what you do, why wouldn't you punch the D-bag that keeps bothering you every day, right? Yeah, why yeah. not? Why not go to jail? Why not steal a bag of money or whatever? I love that scene. I love that. That's such a fantasy because he's sitting there. One, yeah. two, yeah. car, yep. dog bark, <laughs> two, drop the coins, bag... And they turn around, and he's got money, you know? It's it's kind of fun. And so the third stage is the bargaining stage, and that's where he starts trying to manipulate things, right? He's after Rita. Rita. He realizes he's, you know, he gets involved with this woman who he knows won't know who he is tomorrow, but then is there in their makeout session, he's calling her Rita because, hey, I realize that I've got the hots for Rita. So he just decides, I'm going to try to manipulate her, right? He's got a goal. He's going to use this repeat day thing to figure her out, figure out what her favorite drink is, figure out that she likes French poetry, figure, and it's all manipulation. And on that final, you know, he goes through and finally has the perfect day with her. And then at the end, you see him making notes to himself. And he's, she's like, what are you doing? And right. it ends up with a slap. Yeah. It's after that that he realizes he can't do it. He can't seduce her with these tricks. And that's when he falls into the fourth stage, which is depression. Right. And you get the infamous kidnapping of Punxsutawney <laughs> Phil. <laughs> Don't drive angry. This is a classic moment. This is a classic moment where they're driving in this old red Ford pickup. I don't know why they picked that truck of all trucks, but it's the perfect truck for this scene. And they get to the strip mines or whatever it the is. Quarry, yeah. Yeah. This is a real groundhog that Bill Murray is working with. Yeah. Now, he's got gloves. 
It bit him through the gloves. It bit him three times. <laughs> and the third time, it punctured the glove, and they had to take a few days off. Bill Murray is always getting hurt <laughs> by these little woodland creatures. He's got the groundhog. He's got Carol Kane. Carol Kane ripping his <laughs> lip off and, and Scrooged. Yeah. So the depression stage is where certain funny things happen. Yeah. There is a commercial that came out a couple of years ago. Did you see that commercial? Yeah. He steals a Jeep, right? Right. And so it's a Jeep commercial. His day in the commercial is every day he steals this Jeep just to go crazy with this Jeep. Yeah. So he's full in depression. You see multiple suicide attempts. For a movie that is a comedy like this, mm-hmm. watching him jump off of the top of a building was pretty intense. The worst one for me is him putting the toaster in the bathtub. See, I thought that was funny. That part was funny to me. The leaping to his death, that was the one. Yeah. That was rough. Here's the other thing I wanted to bring up. In the depression stage. Yeah. Because this is where he sinks to his lowest, like the lowest of low. Yeah. Okay? There is never anything really, really depraved that we see. Okay? Yeah. Like, why not go on a killing spree? Right. Or, you know, who knows what depraved things that a person like that could think of. Sure. The most depraved that he gets is pretending to be uh, Clint Eastwood with (laughs) what I can only guess is the local hooker. She's in that one scene and doesn't explain any more than that. Call me Bronco. (laughs) But the, the conclusion that I reach from that is that he's not a bad guy. Right. He, he's he's grumpy and he's arrogant and he's got some issues. He's got some limitations. Like he's got some self-limitations that yeah. he's not going to go murder people even right. though he could. Right. He could. Right. And, these, and in that, there's still hope. Because probably if you are not murdering somebody, it means that you think there may still be a tomorrow. Sure. There may still be a tomorrow. I mean, the worst thing that he's trying to do is bed... Rita. Right. And once he's given up on that and he's in this depression state, it's at that stage, much later on, when he's talking to her, and it's, again, another scene in the diner. We've moved from he's eating all of this horrible food (laughs) to he's in the diner and he's talking to her about how he is a god. You're god. I'm not the god. I'm a god, I think. That's what he says. Right. And so it's at that moment where he opens himself up and he makes himself vulnerable. He's no longer the prima donna. He is bearing his soul. And if you think about the hero's journey here, this is where he faces his biggest fear of being completely honest with this girl that he loves. And this love is changing. It's not just, I'm looking to better. I'm looking to trick her and manipulate her. This is, I'm, I'm reaching out to you as a fellow intelligent human being and telling you the circumstance that I'm in. And she spends the whole day with him as he talks about all of this stuff. And it's at that moment, that night, where she goes, you know, I don't know, Phil. I mean, some people would love to have to be able to repeat the same day over and over again to, to finally get it right. You know, some people would look at it as, as something great. And he says, gosh, you're upbeat. <laughs> <laughs> but that is the that is the pivotal moment where we move into Act 3, and he switches from depression to acceptance. And what his acceptance is, is I'm not here for me. I'm here for everybody else. And so he makes his purpose to better everybody else's life. And you have this little vignette in the middle of all of that, in the middle of the acceptance, where he goes through the whole cycle again in a brief moment with the vagrant, with the bum. 
Yeah, okay. He gives him money, and then he discovers that, you know, hey, he's not doing well, takes him to the hospital, and he dies. And she's like, sometimes people just die, and he's like, not today. Right. And you see him again and again and again trying to save this guy, and it doesn't give us closure about what happens, but you have to, at that point, go, he probably just had to accept it. And that's why we're in this stage here. We're in the acceptance stage, and you get to the final point where... He's bettered himself as a person, learned to play the piano, read countless books, helped everybody be their best selves. Sure. And he isn't chasing Rita anymore. She is now chasing him. And it's there that finally you get the end. And I'll I'll do I'll blow your mind with this. You ready? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So at the very beginning of the cycle of the time loop, they're trying to get out of town, right? Yes. He's predicted that the blizzard is not coming. Right. They try to leave town, and the road is blocked, and this kind of lets us know, hey, this is why he can't leave, why he can't get out of this place and go do something somewhere else, right? Right. The The trooper says, you can either go back to Puxatawney, yeah, or you can die in the cold. Yes. You pick, right? Yeah. I'm thinking about it. Right. At that moment, it's snowing. You see the snow falling, right? Okay. You do not see snow falling again for the entire movie until that last night of february 2nd and he's dancing with rita dancing in the pavilion and while they're dancing it starts to snow and that's the first time you see snow again and it's like the bookends of his time loop predicament start with snow end with snow Ah, i like it i like it very cool cool. yeah okay you know you brought up something that i wanted to touch on so rita is his everest right yeah. That is his number one goal. Yeah. But he has like all these side missions, right? Right. Because you can tell because when he walks through the diner and he's actually explaining it to her, he's like, well, this guy does this, 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 this. I mean, how many days did he spend with that guy to learn about that dude, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, Nancy makes a funny noise when she gets excited, right? <laughs> that right. only took one day. Yeah. <laughs> but he spends time with all of these people. He gets to know everybody, you know? And so to me, that's just really cool to think about the amount of time. And then, you know, he catches that kid who falls out of the tree. He's like, hey, thank you, you know? <laughs> say thank you, you brat. I'm here every day to save your life. You never say thank you. Right. So. Right. So let me just say this. I got. I, I, I had. I knew I was going to have to tell this story at some point. Okay. So I watched this movie in preparation for this, but the last time I saw it before that, yeah, I was on a flight. I don't remember where I was flying, <laughs> but it was a long enough flight that I could watch the whole movie, right? <laughs> and I'd seen Groundhog Day a few times before, and I had enjoyed it. When I saw this movie this time, this second most recent time, I was weeping <laughs> at the end. <laughs> Now, we've talked about how all of these religions and psychoanalysis and all these other things, there's this universal concept that they all have said, hey, this is a, you know, the time loop, the repeating the same day is something we all deal with. But on this particular watching, it hit me hard, (laughs) hit me really hard. I literally, when I got done with the flight, I was like... We, Jason, I got to figure out how to do a podcast <laughs> minute by minute on Groundhog Day. I did not realize how incredible a movie this was. And then I Googled emotional overreaction on flights, and it turns out that's a thing. <laughs> so, there you so, go. Okay. So I love this movie. I did not cry this most recent time, but this movie, it hits in a spot that it needs to hit. And like you pointed out, the first time you saw it, you were 20. Yeah. So you didn't really appreciate this idea of, hey, I'm stuck in doing this, this same routine over and over like you do when you're in your 40s, right? But 
and and Ramus actually talked about this. He was talking about the Jews reading the Torah and how it has a different meaning every time they read it as they go through it each year. And he's like, and it's like this movie, you know, every time somebody watches it, they get something new from it. And he's like, not that I'm comparing Groundhog Day to the Torah, but (laughs) that's what happens. And it's true. Every time I see it, there's something new about it that hits home. I wanted to bring up a couple of things. So Bill Murray was going through a divorce at the time he was filming this. Yeah. Which was hard. Sure. Well, yeah, it was was marital problems that ended in a divorce about three years later. Yeah. Yeah. It was bad. Uh, So Angry Phil could come out. Pretty easily. Yeah. By the way, that's what Bill Murray would say before each take. He's like, am I angry Phil in this one or am I happy Phil? That's all he needed to know. That's hilarious. So we talked about how Harold Ramis and Bill Murray had a fallout after this movie. Yeah. And I think one of the things was this divorce was causing him to be cranky and difficult. He's more so than anyway. Right. Yeah, he's notorious anyway for is he gonna show up? They didn't know whether he's gonna show up the Ghostbusters or not, right? Exactly. I mean he's just notorious for you never know what he's going to do. And there's this whole Tao of Bill Murray and the Bill Murray stories uh, yeah. out there where he'll just randomly show up at a sorority party and start washing dishes. Yes. He'll randomly show up at a urinal and rub somebody's earlobes and when they turn around and see it's him he'll say nobody will ever believe you right (laughs) you know it's he does weird stuff and part of the the conflict that he had with harold ramus is harold ramus was trying to make a good funny hollywood movie and bill murray got kind of caught up in this as you do when you're in depressed states of life wanting to dive deeper into the philosophical side of things right right this movie does a perfect combination of both i don't know how their headbutting ended up with good dose of philosophy with a good dose of comedy perfect mix together but at some point i think you're coming to this harold ramus who is just the gentlest nicest guy in the world grabs bill murray by his shirt and pushes him against the wall as humans we're naturally driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed when i was looking to hire someone it was so slow and overwhelming I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. 
Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yeah, I mean, they had a collision of egos here. But one of the things that kind of, I think, got under Bill Murray's skin, and Harold Ramis doesn't really know, and I haven't heard Bill Murray talk explicitly about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he delegated the talking to Bill to one of his aides. Okay. Did you hear this? No. So Harold Ramis said that he, they were asking him in the interview, they're like, you know, does Bill Murray show up early for work or is he involved in the process? And Harold Ramis said, well, we always know where he is, which is in his trailer. He goes, sometimes you got you to gotta rouse him to get him going. And a lot of times he doesn't like to be roused. He doesn't like to be pushed. He doesn't like to be prodded. And so he delegated that to an aide. Okay. Right? And I think Bill Murray took that personally. Yeah. Well, how do you not? Well, and during this divorce, like, Bill Murray would call him at, like, 5 o'clock in the morning or 2 a.m. with questions. And, of course, you're trying to direct a movie and, you know... Why are you calling me in the middle of the night? Right. And so he finally just said, you handle Bill to one of his aides. Right. I don't know what Bill Murray is going to complain about with this sort of communication technique. Bill Murray has no agent. I know. He has a red phone hotline. I know. He has a 1-800 number and you leave a message. Yeah. If you're like, hey, Bill, I'm directing a movie for the very first time. I'd love for you to come be a part of it. He might call you back. He might. You don't know. He might. But there's no agent to call. There's, it's, he is a free agent in the truest totally. sense of the word. And you talked, we've talked about how likable he is, right? Yeah. You know who had a problem with him? Chevy Chase. Harold Ramis. Richard Dreyfuss wanted to kill him on What, what About, about Bob? Bob. Yeah. Right? Lucy Liu hated his guts when they made Charlie's Angels. Yeah. He just rubs people the wrong way. Yeah, he's he's an interesting cat. In fact, Tom Hanks said they didn't bring him on to be, you know, in the movie Groundhog Day because he's too nice. Yeah. And Tom Hanks's quote was, "Well, Bill Murray's the meanest son of a bitch that walked the <laughs> earth, so he ought to be fine." So I thought that was hilarious. Wow. By the way, real quick, I've got some information on the song "I Got You, Babe" by Sonny and Cher. Okay. All right. All right. Sure. Just, Why just, not? I'm just touching on it, okay? Because it's it's featured prominently in the movie. It's the song that's played by his alarm clock every time it wakes him up. Yeah. Okay? So, here's the deal. That song hit number one August 14th, 1965. Okay. This top ten from, again, August 14th, 1965. Yeah. Get ready for this. This is going to blow your socks off. Okay? okay. Yeah. Number ten, Down in the Boondocks by Billy Joe Royal. I don't know. Number nine, California Girls by the Beach Boys. Hey, Def Dave. Right? Yep. Number eight, Don't Just Stand There by Patty Duke. Okay. Number seven, It's the Same Old Song, The Four Tops. Yeah. Number six, Unchained Melody by the Righteous Brothers. Nice. Okay. Number five, What's New Pussycat by Tom Jones. (laughs) Number four, I'm Henry VIII I Am by Herman Hermits. Number three, Save Your Heart for Me, Gary Lewis and the Playboys. Number two, again... Blocking it from the number one spot. I can't get no satisfaction by the Rolling Stones. Wow, that's a pretty big hitter. And number one, I got you, babe, by Sonny and Cher. 
it's probably going to fall in that category of the perfect, most annoying song to wake up to every day of your life for me. <laughs> that, I think that was the idea, right? Oh my gosh. For you, it might be the Macarena or All right. I Want for Christmas is You. True. Both of those are true. <laughs> Solid choices. I had a day, where was he? Like on the beach, made love, you know. That would have been a nice day to repeat. That was a pretty great day. Yeah. <laughs> I was in the Virgin Islands once. I met a girl. We ate lobster, drank pina coladas. At sunset, we made love like sea otters. That was a pretty good day. Why couldn't I get that day over and over? One other thing on Groundhog Day that I want to mention. Okay. This movie is not shot in Puxatawney, Pennsylvania. No, they shot it in Illinois. Woodstock, Illinois. Yeah. The Puxatani people were super mad about that, right? Right, right. Well, the people in Woodstock, Illinois, were also super mad that he was filming in their town square. Messing stuff up. Messing stuff up. It had more, the Woodstock town had more of a down-home feel. Yeah. Like, you go to Puxatani and there's a McDonald's in the middle of the town square, <laughs> which is not just appealing, not a good appeal for, and also, you know, copy or trademark issues, so. Well, and Gobbler's Knob is like two miles out of town. Yeah. It's yeah, like no, out it's, in the woods. Yeah, they don't even yeah, they don't even do the ceremony in town square. They definitely made a Hollywood production, but who cares? Nobody knows that. I didn't know I, that. I, I thought this was perfect spot on ceremonially accurate Puxatani Phil stuff when I saw it. Right. At Woodstock, the town that they filmed it in, there are now plaques all over the place, including the hole with the puddle. Bill Murray stepped here. Watch out for that first step. It's a doozy. <laughs> okay, let's flip back to multiplicity for a second. She touched my peppy, Steve. So the interesting thing about the filming of multiplicity and the production of multiplicity. So this is at the beginning of all that computer, you know, the, the CGI stuff that they did in Jurassic Park. This is still kind of the infancy of all that stuff. Yeah, this is, they used a lot of old techniques to create the multiple Michael Keatons, the multiple Doug Kennys. Right. I mean, you look at Patty Duke in the Patty Duke show, it's just one actress, right? But yeah. they, they had her, and they would use a double, and he would talk to them. But for this one, he would perform the scene. This is kind of how the fun way that they did it with this. He'd perform the scene as one of the characters over and over a few times, and somebody would record it on just a handheld camcorder, right? Like a high eight camcorder. Right. And then he'd go change wardrobe. They would transfer it over and put it in the VCR. And so literally he would he would play off of himself from this handheld camcorder for the lines, right? Yeah. So it's it's really quite brilliant. Like they're bringing in some new technology. And then of course they used a lot of green screen technology sure. on this as well to, to make things work. Yeah. But... Can I tell you about the... I mean, I, I mentioned that we've got the same guy who did this the special effects for Fright Night. Remember, he's the guy who... The pencil through the hand on the Fright Night deal? One of those guys. Okay. One of those guys, right. yeah. And there's you think to yourself, well, there's not a whole lot of special effects here, right? You've got the whole, you know, him and the goo getting transferred and cloned and all of that. Right. But not a whole lot of special effects. But there were because... He had to interact with himself. And there's this one scene, and I remember as I was watching it, I was like, holy crap, that was perfect. How the heck did they do that? And it's when Doug Kenny 1 brings in Doug Kenny 3 and introduces him to Doug Kenny 2 for the first time. And Doug Kenny 2 
Number two throws, throws him a beer. a beer. Yes, right. And so what they were, what their plan was, was to digitally erase the beer and then put it so that it didn't, you didn't miss a sequence. It didn't hop out of place or whatever. Sure. Michael Keaton's throw was <laughs> so perfect, both catching it and throwing it, that they, when they spliced the film together, it fit perfectly. So they literally called it the million dollar beer can toss. Yeah, if you don't have to digitally do all that crap and you're just like, oh my gosh, it lines up perfectly. Yeah. I mean, just think about how difficult it would be with 1996 technology <laughs> to have three of the same person shaving in front of the same mirror like they're right next to each other yeah this isn't something where like i'm talking to you from the right side of the screen and you're responding to me from the left side of the screen this is they are standing in a line looking at the reflection in a mirror i mean that's difficult it's crazy and i will say this about that movie they pulled all of that off seamlessly i mean you just think about attack of the clones (laughs) a few years later or uh, the Phantom Menace, where they're staring at the top of Jar Jar's head, and oh, it's just awful. It looks terrible. It looks terrible. Yeah. And I'm just like, guys, they knew how to do this back then. Why? What are you missing out on here? Yeah, the characters that Michael Keaton is playing. You have Doug One, Doug Original. Yeah. Doug Two. I saw him interviewed about this. He's like, I get Doug Two sort of out of this region. He yeah. Points to his crotch. Right? Yeah. Right. And Doug 3 is a little bit more the homemaker, the more nurturing. He's like, I get Doug 3 out of this region. Uh-huh, and he, he pointed at his heart. And then Doug 4 is a copy of a copy, which I thought that was brilliant and funny. Yeah. He said, that is my inner like five-year-old kid. Right, right. It is the duality of man the components of man the first one is his macho work hard self right Right. it's not perfectly him it is a guy who goes out and kicks butt right yep Yep. the second one he's he has soft it is the feminine side to its max as far as a married man goes right sure He's even wearing the the ascot at some point. I just, you know. Harold Ramis described to him he wanted him to be Martha Stewart on steroids. Right. Right. And the obsessive compulsive comes out when he's explaining to her how to wrap up the meatloaf. All of that is (laughs) ad-libbed. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. You can fold it twice, or I even fold it three times sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Annie McDowell would laugh so hard that they had to stop production for a while because she couldn't stop laughing at how funny Michael Keaton was in this movie. Uh The clips that I saw, I, I laughed with her. She could not get control of herself. Michael Keaton said she would laugh. They'd have to stop production. They'd go to lunch. They'd come back. She was still laughing. <laughs> Which, that just makes me love her even more. Yeah, you know? yeah for sure. For so, sure. Okay. So the special effects on this are truly amazing. They're great. Wrong time. It's just It just missed the mark a little bit. It did. I guess we're moving. Are we moving to Final Judgment? So we talked about how Multiplicity was not well received. Didn't even make half of its budget. Do you have the figures on what Groundhog Day did? Yeah, so Groundhog Day's budget was $30 million. Wow, okay. And it made $105 million. It was the 10th biggest movie of 1993. Wow. And that was a year that, yeah, Jurassic Park. Yeah, Jurassic Park. When you're talking about a very, I mean, forty mil, or $30 million, kind of a low budget, low yeah. effects, not a whole lot to do there. Not a lot of actors, not a lot of sets. I mean, it's the same place, Yeah. same people. 
We talked, we didn't talk about this a lot, but can you imagine like every scene that you see that's a, in the same place on a different day? They recorded all of those scenes on the same day, right? Yeah. So scene one with Needlenose Ned occurs on the same day as I don't know where you're going, but can you call in sick? Yeah. Like those all were on the same day, one after the other. And yeah, all of the scenes at the bar. All, all, so you, you get all of these things makes the directing and production part easy. I would think it makes so. the editing a little more difficult because you got to move stuff around so much, but it's just, they did such a good job with continuing a time sequence, despite the fact that they were all, you know, each bit was its own recording process. The needle nose Ned Ryerson stuff. Stephen Tobolowsky talks about how he had to hit the same mark a bunch of times in a row. It was like step one, step two, finger up, turn, you know, Phil, Phil Connors, right? And he had to do that exact same thing several times in a row. Yeah. And uh, he said, you never know what Bill was going to do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, that, that uh, I don't know where you're headed, but can you call in sick? That was an ad lib. <laughs> that, was, that was like, Bill said, okay, I'm going to do something here. Just go with it. Yeah. And so Stephen Tobolowsky's response of, uh, I got to go. We're <laughs> running away in like the high knee run. It was all ad lib. Great Hilarious. Moment. Great moment. Yeah. Okay. Are we ready for final judgment? Do we even need to bother at this point? I mean, golly, we can't. We didn't hide it very well, did we? Well, we didn't. But I mean, it's Groundhog Day today, right? Or at least it was last week when we started this process. Right. Right. But right. 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 <laughs> right. 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 Um, yeah. So I mean, yes, sure. Final judgment. Multiplicity. Definite winner. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, I... I, Bing! (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so let me just defend multiplicity for a second, okay? Okay, yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and say this is a landslide for Groundhog Day. Groundhog Day is a comedy classic. It never gets old. It's sweet. It's funny. It's poignant. It's meaningful. Multiplicity... Doug treats his wife and his family bad the entire time. I don't think he's a bad guy. And I like Michael Keaton a lot. Michael Keaton is one of those guys like Tom Hanks or Harrison Ford or Bill Murray even that I'll watch whatever he's in because I like him as an actor. And there are some real laugh out loud moments in Multiplicity. When I watched it just the other day to prep for this, I laughed out loud by myself in my house, cracked up at several scenes. The the restaurant scene where he runs into two, you know, one runs into two and they, his girlfriend is there. Right. And then, of course, four doing all his stuff. So I like multiplicity, but it's just missing something that Groundhog Day has in spades. It doesn't have the same heart and the same sweetness. For me, it's Groundhog Day all day, again and again and again. Well, that certainly hits home for me. <laughs> I feel like I would have enjoyed multiplicity more had I seen it back in the 90s. It, in the watching it this time... It did virtually nothing for me. I doubt I will ever watch it again, honestly. Okay. But that's just me missing out on the moment, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's what happened with Multiplicity. It missed out on the moment. It missed out on the moment for me. I wasn't interested in a Michael Keaton comedy, romantic, goofy, cloning thing at that time. I wanted to see more Pulp Fiction. I wanted to see more Natural Born Killers. I was into the sure. hard-hitting, edgy movies by that point in history. Let me see seven, you know? One of the best movies of the 90s, yeah. yeah. Right. But Groundhog Day is kind of like the perfect ending to the 80s decade of movies, even though it hits in 93. It is a comedy that 
hits you deep in the heart. It's something you can identify with. You are identifying with a guy who you recognize is a complete jerk, but because he's going through what we all struggle with, we all as the human race struggle with, you want him to win. You want him to find a way out. You want him to find an answer. And the question that has to be answered is, why are we doing all this? What are we here for? What is our purpose? Right. And I love that he finds it and that it's special. It is stop thinking about me and start thinking about others. Yeah. Right. Make myself a better person, not better circumstances, and make everybody's circumstances better. And then the lesson of multiplicity is if you lie to your wife well enough, <laughs> you can get she away with will it. never know. Yeah. Multiplicity. Did you see <laughs> the, when, at the end when they drive off together? Like, the, I, like literally halfway into the movie, I'm like, how is he going to get rid of these? <laughs> like, I He's got to kill them. Like that literally, like I, my mind went to a really dark, I'm like, is this going to be a really dark ending to this comedy? And then they just drive away in a car Yeah. and they go start a, pizza business down in florida or something and their logo is an obvious knockoff of the pet boys i mean what's going on here but i'm telling you they should have cloned rita well that's one option that is certainly one option but i i think that this movie could be remade as a much darker movie and be really good like where he has to kill him at the end yeah we're like right? number two wants to take over the family and- right which is i mean that would have been the honest reaction i mean because number two wakes up and thinks he's the original. Right. Can you imagine waking up tomorrow and somebody telling you, no, you have, you only exist today. Your entire memory of your life, we put there, it's not real. Right. You're full of baloney. Yeah? Let me show you the tattoo of a two on your ear. Right. Uh, that's, nope. that's, that's a recipe work for, for me, me losing my mind, uh-huh. not being a cool little, I'll go get your work done guy for you. Somebody telling you, rule number one, nobody sleeps with <laughs> my wife. Right. I mean, yep. my wife? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and I was talking to Jet about this as well. Jet, I, I love Jet. He called me the other day and he was literally angry for us that we're not like world famous because of this podcast yet. He's thank like, you. your podcast is so good. I'm like, thank you, man. I, I need to hear that from time oh, to time. That's great. Yeah. Somebody whose opinion I value. But I talked to him about that concept. And he's like, oh, I think there's a black mirror that's like that. And I looked it up. There's not one, but maybe, hey. You know, retell the same story a different way. Maybe it's a recipe. I don't know. Don't steal that idea, Shirley fans. I may (laughs) write that myself. Let's go, D. Let's go. All right, guys. That brings us to the end of Groundhog Day versus Multiplicity. I didn't mention it, but if you couldn't tell, Groundhog Day is definitely my pick. Be sure and come back and join us next week. We have a matchup that you are going to love. Next week, we are doing The Outsiders versus Rumblefish. Now, for those of you who might think, oh, that's kind of a weird thing. Both Francis Ford Coppola, both Matt Dillon and Diane Lane, both Tulsa movies. So this is a little Jason episode, both little matchup. Came, yeah, yeah, both came out in 83. Both yes, that's 40 right. years old. This March is when uh, it will be the 40th anniversary for The Outsiders. Yeah. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Really cool. And come back next week for that. Yeah. Some of you have been asking, why did it take us so long to get to The Outsiders? Well, because we wanted to land on the number 40. That's why. That's right. All right. We'll see you next week. Thanks, guys. See you then. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. 
Maybe you think they're just part of getting older. But Mini Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.